Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you like Real GM Radio, you're going to love the official Lakers podcast on Podcast One. Join host Mike Trudell and co-host Aaron Warsoul every Monday night as they discuss the Lakers news of the day, break down games from the week, and have exclusive interviews from players, coaches, and staff. So don't miss the official Lakers podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the first of the Tears podcast for the 2019-20 season. Brought back Matt Moore of the Action Network to do these again this year. We had so much fun doing this last year, and this was on the early side. We talked about when we wanted to start, and we're about a month into the season now, but a lot of really interesting directions to go. This week's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that familiar podcast one promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. Episode runs a little bit over an hour. We go through all 30 teams, some in, of course, more depth than others, especially if we have a disagreement about them. But a lot of fun, really clarifying, not only to talk about it with Matt, but also to do the research in order to talk about it with Matt in an educated fashion. So hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I asked you to kind of give me the basic layout of how you wanted to do this. And the two restrictions that you had were whole league, which I think is a good one to do right now. So it's not conference by conference. And then a maximum of five tiers, which I ended up as usual, because I think both of us sometimes do this, but me especially, I wanted to get tier happy. And I thought that was actually a really good thing because then it forced me to make some clarifying decisions in terms of where teams are instead of just hedging by putting them in a different sub tier or something like that. Yeah, I've got mine, I think, pretty tight. It's just I can't wind up like lumping everybody in kind of at the bottom because it's like the top I'm really you're detailed about and you're trying to get very specific in and kind of narrow it and like, okay, there's a there's an important distinction between these teams and these teams. And then you get to the end of it and you're kinda like, and then there's the rest. So Yeah, I, I had kind of the same thing. So I, I ended up going with five tiers and as is often the case at this point, really any time before April, for me, the first tier are the kind of the clear title contenders, or sometimes I've used the phrase the easy case, where it's just like, okay, well, you know, you have to say that, and then the line between tier one and tier two is if everything goes right or if a harder case. Is that kind of how you see it too? Yeah, I think like the top tier is is really the teams where I don't have a strong argument against them to the point where it's like disqualifying. I could say like in a matchup, you know, these obviously all these teams are not like, well, they can beat all the other teams in, in that tier, but they're at least, uh, I don't have major concerns to be able to point to and go, okay, this is what I'm worried about. Like this one thing is too big of a concern. And that's kind of what separates tier one and tier two for me. I agree with that. And uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first in terms of your tier one? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, so I've got Clippers, Lakers, Sixers, Jazz, and Bucks. Um, I'm a little bit tighter than I was to start the year. Uh, I've moved Utah up because I've been really impressed. The big thing with Utah going in was uh, if there was an if that they needed, if it was like, all right, they're going to be a contender, like they could be a contender, contender if, insert, the insert was if Donovan Mitchell makes a leap because they had everything else. Like Conley was going to give them more of a shooting weapon on pick and roll so that you can't just uh, drop versus go bear and limit him. Uh, they've got a few more perimeter weapons. They added a Davis, who's unfortunately out with an injury, and that makes up a little for what favors misses. There were all these things, and it was really like, but in all this, like Mitchell's going to have to take the leap. And he has like he's just he's been phenomenal. I think it's he's at twenty. I looked up this morning. It's like twenty five five four 
uh, 48 from the field, 42 from three. Like he's made the leap. And if he plays like that, and he's had some tough finishes in key moments late in games, their resume to me is great. I think they probably split that Clippers series, even if Kawhi plays on the road in Utah. Um, I actually want to drop the Clippers further. Like Paul George is the reason I can't. I have real concerns about their defense. I will. I am not willing to relent on my concern over Ivica Zubac. No matter how good his defensive metrics are, I'm still like, I don't buy this. Um, him and Harold to me are just too. There's too many concerns there with their uh, rim protection. But I can't. I can't remove them and keep the Lakers in, which I want to do when the Lakers' offense is also mediocre. So I'm kind of forced to keep both LA teams in there. Honestly, if Clippers, Lakers, Sixers, Utah, Bucks, the team that I have the most concern with is the Sixers. And I felt really good about my position on them being the best team in the East after the first week. And then, boy, just that road trip. And it's it's a West Coast road trip early in the season. They were without Embiid for half of it, without Simmons for the back half. But the way they lost that Denver game, and I was there, so it's definitely confirmation bias. But, like, I, the way they they blew that game I just continue to be like, look, when things get tough, how are you like, what are you going to do when adversity hits? And I, at this point, I have some real concerns about Embiid's ability to lead them past in, uh, adversity. So I'm higher on Utah. I'm a little bit lower on the Sixers. The Bucks, I'm still in kind of the same place on. They're going to be good. I have some concerns about their defense, but they've been really good the last couple of games. And then the two LA teams. What about you? My tier one is actually narrower than yours. I surprised myself with it. Um, I ended up with only three teams at the top with the easy case. And for me, that's the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Lakers. I agree with you that there are reasons with the Clippers and Lakers in particular, and the Bucks too, to an extent, to say they're not there yet. But it's just with those three teams, the case is so easy. You know, like, okay, the Lakers offense needs to get better. I feel confident that it will. They need us. They need some improvement offensively in the non-LeBron minutes. Defensively, they've been shockingly good in those minutes for me. The Clippers, I echo your concerns with their defense, but getting back one of the best perimeter defenders in the league not only helps their starting unit, but also that improves everything else because then you can slide everybody into more usable spots. Patrick Patterson, a few of the other players, can just go into more sustainable roles. I've been impressed with their overall depth and the Clippers, the other reason they're for me firmly in the top tier is just that when a team is this top heavy, even though we haven't seen it, the the rotational adjustments in the playoffs help them more. You know, like the Clippers are going to get a lot of George and Leonard if they're healthy, and those guys are really, really good. Same thing with the Lakers. And, and so I'm thinking kind of regular season playoffs at the same time. I so what, what one of the things that I found interesting was the two teams that you did not that you had in your top tier that I did not. Those are the top two in my next tier. I agree with you on the Sixers and Jazz. For me, those concerns were just a little bit too strong, and I'll I'll lay them out a little bit differently. So for me, for the Sixers, it's can they get a bucket if they have to get like let's say they're four points down with a minute and a half to go. I don't have any doubt that they can get the stops, but can they get those two baskets? Then they have to, you know, the when they used to a lot of times turn to Jimmy Butler and Embiid can do it sometimes, but maybe not consistently. He's also a little turnover happy for my tastes. And then for the Jazz, my big concern for them this season, uh, yeah, you're right. Mitchell was one. Like the, for championship contention, I think Mitchell was one. But then the other for me was how is their defense going to look when you replace? Rubio with Conley, and yeah, there are questions about if that's really a downgrade, but also with, of course, Favors and Bogdanovich and everything else that happened with their rotation, and they've looked really good. I mean, Gobert's been fantastic, and I am a little bit more skeptical of when they face the best of the best, you know, when the Clippers and Lakers come calling, will the same things that have worked for them so far work, but... I, I and and again, like so for me, I think that was maybe it's a distinction without a difference this early in the season. But I just wasn't willing to put those two teams at the top while openly acknowledging they could be there as soon as like two weeks from now. Yeah, I just think um, a lot of it with Utah is they're the Sixers and, and Jazz are kind of similar. They're kind of similar um, in terms of like, okay, who's going to be the guy that creates on offense? Only like the jazz have that guy. I think the difference maybe is like if for the Sixers, it's who's going to go get you a bucket. And I think for the, uh, jazz, it's who's going to stop LeBron or Kawhi. Like that was the question. Right, I had. Yeah. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah. That's like the Zach Lowe corollary. He got me started on that. And I've been thinking about it a lot and I've, I put it in these terms. It's the down, it's the up four at half. It's game six. You're up four points, but Kawhi and or LeBron have scored or assisted on the last 10 points in a 10-0 run. 
who is going to one take you home and the Jazz can say Donovan Mitchell, um, but the Sixers don't have that guy. And then two, who's going to stop LeBron or Kawhi or at least enough to get you there? And the Sixers can say, well, Ben Simmons and the Jazz don't have that guy still. I, I don't believe in Bogdanovich. I don't believe in Ingles in that capacity. Uh, I don't believe like Conley's too small. Mitchell's not is not big enough. They don't have a guy that can do that. Royce O'Neal might be that guy though. Like Royce O'Neal, I think has the capacity if the rest of their defense stays disciplined. Like if you look, if if it's LeBron or Kawhi and Royce O'Neal really attacks on ball, manages not to foul, you bring help as you should, and the result is Pat Beverly or uh, Danny Green or. Um, Mon- or Jamichael Green, if those guys beat you in those situations, you tip your cap. Like, we did everything we could. It's a really good team. We got the ball out of their hands. We forced a, a shot from a player that we'd rather have taken that shot. We got it. We, you know, we ran out on him as hard as we could, and he made it. Like, you got to live with that. Um, so the Jazz League have a better capacity. The Sixers, you talked about it. I Embiid had so many double teams in the playoffs that he got better at it as he went along. Like he, he really started to learn how to avoid turning the ball over on double teams. And the first couple of games of this season, it was the same thing. And then on this West Coast road trip, he's just back to doing it again. The, the Nuggets, like I made it a point when I was picking the Sixers in that game. I was like, oh, you know, MB, they're going to double MB and he's not going to turn the ball over. And you're going to have Richardson and Harris and Horford wide open. And instead the Nuggets just dug in and got the ball out. Like they just created turnovers and, I, I am very disappointed with Joel Embiid so far. Just he has such an opportunity. He has weapons around him to punish them if they bring help. Uh, he's bigger than most of these guys, and like he's talking big and running his mouth at Carl Anthony Towns and Andre Drummond. When it's like you know Towns maybe a little bit because Towns was great to start the season, but most of these guys are like this isn't your competition. Like you need to beat Nikola Jokic. Like that's a guy that you need to beat, and you're gonna need to beat the Lakers, and you're gonna need to beat like you're at this level now, kid. Like you're no longer at you know, petty feuds with the the four the 500 teams in the East. Like, let's get a little bit higher here. So I've been really bummed by him. But I still think that at full health, like that team's defensively is such a monster. And really for most of that Nuggets game, I was just like, they have so many weapons. Like Embiid's not playing well, but Richardson played great. Horford played great. Harris played awesome. Um, it, you know, Richardson wasn't making shots, but he was making the right plays consistently and playing really good defense. They got some outlier performances off the bench from Kyle O'Quinn. Um, and Trey Burke, but even then, like they they need so little from the bench. I still feel like the Sixers are are, are really good. Uh, do you want to go with your next tier? Yeah. So my next tier tier two is the if everything goes right, and really for me the separation between two and three. We've talked about the one two distinction. For me, two and three is is there a reasonable case for this team to win a championship? Now there are a lot of teams in tier three that I think have either a higher expected value or a higher floor than the teams in tier two, but I just don't see the path to a championship. And I am I drew a little bit of a looser line. I've said before that I'm skeptical of the Nuggets in that rarefied error. But for me, Sixers and Jazz, we just talked about them a lot. And then the only other two teams I have here right now are the Rockets and the Nuggets, both of whom I am queasy about all the time putting them in this group. The Rockets because the Russell Westbrook stuff, but their ceiling is just crazy high. Also, the Rockets' defense hasn't been good so far this year. And the Nuggets... It is more the idea that they they can figure out the Grant-Millsap dynamic. Jokic becomes Jokic again. Really, all those things put together. And I drew a line there between them and, like, let's say the Raptors and Celtics just because it's hard for me to put together a scenario where— and actually, it's interesting to use the Raptors as an example here because they did it last year with a different team. It's like, yeah, I could see them winning a series against one of the best of the best. But think about last year's Raptors team. They had to beat the Sixers, the Bucks, and the Warriors, and they got fortunate on health with the Warriors, but they had to beat those three teams in immediate succession. Raps and Celtics, both wonderful teams. They've had some really nice wins this year. I don't see them as that type of squad, and I don't see the pathway for them to be that this year. Yeah, um, I, could, I, I agree with that. So I'm actually, you know, I was very much into like, my second tier in preseason was like, if these things happen, they could make a run. And we're only a month in. And right now I am considerably cooled because like the first tier is like, these teams can all win the title. The second tier is like, not unless things change in a hurry, like not unless you're radically different. Um, and that's here for me. I've only got four teams in tier two and it's Nuggets, Raptors, Rockets, and Celtics. The Celtics I am forced to include. And honestly, like, 
if it weren't for my long-term skepticism over how well everything has gone, I want to put the Celtics in a tier below, kind of like you did, where um, it's like, okay, they're fine, but no, and with the Raptors, kind of same deal. Um, but for me, it's like, it, it's really, the Nuggets offense has been so under par, and there's a lot of data that suggests that that's going to get that not a lot of there's some day there's some thought process that says that has to improve but like they're missing open shots and like spot up shooting is such been has been such a concern they're not creating enough threes and they've shown little fits and spurts like the fourth quarter versus the Sixers and the first quarter versus the Wolves but like Barton Harris Jokic has a 107 offensive rating that sounds really good and it's not not for your best like no, those, not for those guys yeah that should be 112 113 like that's where it should be at worst right um if not like up, upwards of like 115 and for them to be at least 110 and for them to be at 107 shows you like and a lot of this is Jokic is in a funk and he goes to this in November and we try and psychoanalyze him and there's no point to it and he's played a lot better in the the Sixers game and in this one um like there's just a higher level of engagement from him and that opens everything up they're not playing Tory Craig as much that opens everything up there's all these things that suggest it but there's also a lot of things that defensively if you look at it they have one of the highest differentials in expected effective field goal percentage versus actual via pvpstats.com like there's a, a there's an indicator there that goes they're probably teams are probably going to start hitting shots on them like their defense systemically is good but they're skating on some things right now um that are making them look better than they are there's two ways of looking at that which is like look if denver gets its offense going it's not going to matter because even if they slip a little bit defensively they're still gonna they're gonna roll teams and they've managed to not lose these games early. Like there's no bad vibes because they're like, no, we're winning, we're winning anyway. Uh, but the other side is if they don't get it corrected, they are gonna start losing games and that's gonna get worrisome in a hurry. Um, Rockets, I'm just like, you know, I'm less worried because this morning I kind of dug in and was like, what's going on? Like what what is the deal? And when I saw that Harden and Westbrook together have a 101 or I think it's a 103 defensive rating, I was like. Oh, that's really good. Like, that's totally good. Like, that's fine. And it's not because those two are good defenders. It's because Capella and PJ are so good. Good. But my biggest thing is just like, oh, if if the starting unit that you have to play a lot, if the big stars are fine together, you can you can put out the fire on the bench unit. Like, to a degree, at least, you can contain the fire enough to where you can start winning games and get your differentials up to where they need to be. You won't be giving up 158 to the Wizards, right? You just got to make it to where, as long as those two are not the problem, I'm less concerned. But they're still so bad defensively that I think there's, I have to put them in a tier below where I'm like, you're not going anywhere unless you get that defense top 15. You're just not. You're not getting anywhere unless you get that defense top 15. The Raptors and Celtics are basically like tip of the cap inclusion here. Um, I'm not sold on anybody else in the East. Uh, the Raptors just got this massive win versus the Lakers. We'll see how they do. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. We'll see how they do versus the Clippers on the back-to-back. But even then, it's like I, you can't punish them for that loss because it's a back-to-back after a huge emotional win versus the Lakers without Kyle, Le- Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. Like Pascal Siakam's carrying that team. Uh, I do think it'll be really interesting if you have a Raptors-Celtics second-round series, right? If it's whether it's a 4-5, a, four, five, a, a you know, a two or nine would be like a three, six or a four, five. That would be really interesting. I don't know how it would want to be in there. Um, but that would be really interesting to me. If those two faced off in a series, that would be a really interesting um, matchup or even like a two, three. Like I could see that happening if it was like a two, three second round series uh, because the, the Celtics are just so much better than I expected them to be defensively. I'm holding them out from the top tier because I can't believe that they're this good defensively. Like they're fourth at defending the rim for Synergy Sports, and I gotta check the other numbers, but it vibes with the overall numbers for their defense. And that makes no sense. They got no front court, and you're still managing to do this. Hayward's injury hurts them, but they got such wing depth. Um, so anyway, that's my that's my my second tier is Nuggets, Raptors, Rockets, Celtics. What I like about your about your structure there, and the Celtics and Raptors were the toughest decisions for me, is that it gives respect to what they've done. You know, like I I'm just fundamentally skeptical. You know, I lean back on the the thought process of like the theory of this shouldn't work, but as you said, Siakam has been unbelievable. If he ha- if he can be the offensive engine in a way that I did not expect, that is the easiest path for the Raps to be a lot better than I thought, and for the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of crazy things about their defense. I mean, yeah, opponents, uh, per cleaning glass, that filters out garbage time. Opponents are shooting 56% at the rim. That is the third weakest in the league. The opponents are below, a below average at 
and basically they're bottom 10 in every zone except for corner threes and non-corner threes where like above the break they're barely above the bottom 10 and then actually making a lot of corner threes but the Celtics generally reduce those shots so it's not killing them in any way and I, I think that it's just unreasonable to expect any team to continue that, but also the Celtics from protection, broadly speaking, just isn't great. Remember, they've been doing some of this without Ennis Kanter, which has hurt them in other ways, but I think has defensively has given them some options. So yeah, I, I think that you run into a challenge, but for me, you brought up the playoff series type of thing, and I, I just can't see, as of right now, and again, reserve the right to change my mind, that's the way this works. But I, I just don't see them winning those like three series against really good teams. I think that's just too much. And, and maybe it's just me being late and believing in my, my pre-established takes. And this will come up with a couple other teams where maybe I'm just not seeing it yet and that I'm just wrong. And it happens all the time. And I'm, and sometimes that, that pre-existing stuff works out for you because the, the it is a little bit of fool's gold, but it could, it, you know, it could be otherwise. Lots more to get to with Matt on this tiers pod. But first, a message from betonline.ag. There's a lot going on in the world of sports right now, from NBA season, as you know, in full swing, to both college and professional football, and of course, college basketball. And you can engage with that in a different way at betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for an awesome 50% sign up bonus. As I said, a lot going on right now. Week 11 in the NFL, Patriots at Eagles, a former Super Bowl rematch. Chiefs Chargers will be a lot of fun. And then college, Michigan State, Michigan, Georgia, Auburn, and then all over the basketball slate. We got you got things every night. That's what part of what makes the NBA so much fun. Also doing the hashtag Sportsnet Challenge. I continue to be doing very well in that, which is awesome. Really do enjoy it. And you can check out how I stack up with a lot of the other podcast one hosts, which is a lot of fun. And that's picking picking winners and losers. And what's fun for me is it's straight money line as opposed to the spread where I'm admittedly not as nearly as good. But if you think you are better on that or any other sport, betonline.ag, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Let's move to my third tier. And so the way that I separate it out, and I'll use a team as an example, and that for me, this team is the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat, to me, I expect them to be an over 500 team. And again, when we're doing whole league, you can't really do playoffs and non-playoffs because the line is different in the East and the West. But the line that I drew was, I expect them to finish over 500, not a definite, but I expect that. At the same point, I do not expect them to win the championship. And that was really where I drew the line. because So I had a, seven teams in my first two tiers. So then you have 23 teams to put into <laughs> three tiers. And... I'll just go through all of it. So that was tier one is expected over 500, but I don't expect them to be in championship contention. Tier two is under 500 and not the dregs. And then tier tier five is the dregs. Like that's really the way it works out. And so the teams that I had in tier three, uh, so it was kind of interesting to think about, well, who's on which fringe? So for me, the Raptors and Celtics were pretty clearly on the two, three fringe. Like you can make an argument as you did that they should be tier two. I chose not to. Then I had the Heat as the only team where I was firmly like, oh, this is the quintessential tier, tier three team. Then I had the teams that were on the three, four barrier. And for me, that was the Mavericks, Blazers, and Pacers I put in this tier. And then the Wolves, Magic, Nets I had in the tier below. And the line there was pretty fuzzy, but that's really how I thought about it. Yeah. Well, here's what I think is kind of funny about mine. So there's like this duality that exists, right? Where, um, you know, there's like Clippers, Lakers, Bucks in the top tier. That's, you know what? They're as good or better than I expected. And then there's Sixers, Utah, which is, or I guess Utah's kind of in that tier too. It's more of uh, Sixers, Bucks's. Well, they're good, but not maybe not as good as I, as I thought they might be. And then the second tier, you know, Nuggets and Rockets are, I thought they were going to be really good and I have some concerns. Raptors and Celtics are, I thought they were going to be okay, but they're really pretty good. This third tier is made up of teams that are simultaneously like, oh, hey, like I thought that they would be a little bit, I thought they would be much worse than this. Uh, and then like a combination of like, yeah, I'm not sold on on this in, in, at all. Um, my third tier has five teams. And so my total would be uh, 14 uh, through three tiers. So my back end, again, is just like loaded. I got like 10 teams in the, in the, la- in the dregs section. Um, Mavericks, Heat, Suns, Wolves, Spurs are that third segment. I don't have the Blazers. And the reason I don't have the Blazers is 
I fully expect for Portland to go on a run in January. They'll either make a trade or just like randomly they will start winning games. They are a team that defies all logic. Uh, if you just gave me this roster and put it in Orlando, I would be like, oh, well, that's a sub-500 team, like even with Dame and CJ. And the injuries have been rough, but they are also just like, look, they don't have guys that bring it every night. Um, I'll get to, to Portland in the, in the next segment. Um, but that's my big thing is they just don't have guys that bring it every night beyond Dame. Um, you know, the Mavericks have been – I think we're starting to see them get exposed a little bit. So this tier is is kind of made up of a lot of teams where I'm like, are they gonna are they gonna pass the mirror test? And the mirror test is around December first. There's always a few teams that that got off to a really good start, and then they catch themselves in the mirror and go, oh no, like two years ago it was the Magic, where the Magic got off to a really good start, and then in December they were just like, oh no, we're the ma- we're the Magic. Oh, we're we're not above 500. We're terrible. Oh oh no. And so this team, like the Mavericks, the Heat, the Suns, the Wolves, those four teams are teams that like they're better, I think, than a lot of us expected. There was some buzz around the Heat. I also think the Heat are a little smoke and mirrors. I think they're I just don't believe that they're as good on either end. They've gotten so many contributions from unproven guys who the scouting report is not in on. They play hard. They're disciplined. They're smart. All the things that make the heat go. Butler's going to have the odd 34-point night where he carries them. I'm just not sold on them as this real force. I'm just not. And maybe, again, a lot of that is biased because if you look at it, I'm down the Sixers, I'm down the Heat, and those are two teams that I thought would beat Denver at home that I saw in person, and they did not. And I tend to be right. a little, I tend to be more skeptical of Denver. Um, <laughs> well, and and the Heat are are this is something I wanted to bring up with them that I think is really interesting. They played four what I would call you know like high end teams. Right. They beat the Bucks in Milwaukee in overtime. They beat the crap out of the Rockets. Yep. They got worked by the Nuggets, and they got beat pretty handily by the Lakers. So. How you take that is really weird. Like, I mean, that win over the Rockets was one of the more dominant that we've had yeah. all year. Like, the Rockets, the Rockets were out of that game by like halftime. They and, were out of that game by two a.m. when James Harden left the local establishments. Also fair, and and so and that is something that you can price in. And the Bucks game was in Milwaukee, so you can't price that in as much. And I mean, and there's also like Miami. They're giving up a ton of threes, and opponents have largely been missing them so far. And that's something that I was—I I wrote up a list. I don't know if we'll if we'll put it if I'll get to all of it in the podcast. But it was like you know teams with good and bad opponent shot profiles, and then good and bad own shot profiles. And so I had the Heat in that kind of troubling one, just because they gave up so many threes. Interestingly, though, the Heat of the troubling opponent shot profiles—they are the only team that is in the top three tiers for me that I put that description on them. Every other team was four or five. Hmm. And hmm. maybe there's something to that. Uh, and, yeah. and maybe maybe that's something that I should be considering a little bit more. Um, okay, so let's talk about some of the ones where we had differences of opinion. The Spurs and the Suns. Um, the Suns, I, I, I think it's just how real is this? I think that's probably the argument. I mean, the Suns, th- it, there's a parallel with the Celtics and the Raptors. If we were to judge them on how they have played, you having them in tier three is right. And they might even be tier two. And, yeah. then, and then just like for the Celtics and all them, I'm just a little bit skeptical. Well, more than a little bit skeptical, though I'm thrilled with how well they have played. I just think, um, bear in mind, I was like captain of the Suns over in the win totals because their number was absurdly soft. Uh, it was 29 and a half. So they've got like, they're rolling towards that. Like I'm already counting my money on that over bet um, because they just, they got competent players. The biggest one for me was in the second week of the season, um, they played, they played Denver and they lost. But one of the things I looked at was Denver walloped that team in both games at home last year. And so I went back and I looked at how many guys in the top 10 rotation for the Suns this year were on that team that got walloped in Denver. And the answer was only three players are still in the rotation, and one of them was Aiton. There were seven new dudes out of the top 10 rotation, and now it's still it's still uh, only three guys because Cam Johnson's in the rotation. But like – there's seven new players on the Suns. They are just a, they're just not the same team. Now, like a lot of this is is you wonder like how sustainable is this, right? Because it's Rubio who's up there, who's not a young buck anymore. It's Baines who's not young anymore. Um, it, it, Kelly Oubre is in the middle of his career. He's still younger, but still you know he's on the on he's no longer a youngster. 
Um, they're getting all these contributions from guys, Tyler Johnson, that have been in the league a while. And they're just veterans, and they're just competent. Like, they're just a competent team. Um, Monty Williams, I think, is what's really kind of separating them. I will say this, though. Okay, if we, if we put them into the abstract, if we remove them from the Suns being the Suns, and we take out Robert Sarver and the whole thing, and we even take out the names, and you just and and you, I tell you, there's a Western Conference team with a very serviceable veteran point guard that knows how to run an offense and defends at a high level, as low as I've always been on Rubio. Uh, there is a defensive journeyman who has always been a high impact, low usage player in Baines. Uh, there are athletic wings that can get out and run. There is a superstar score. And there is a competent coaching staff with athletic rookies. Like you, you tell me that model, and I'm like, that's a decent team. Like that's a, now the difference though here is this: the reason they're not in tier two is, do I think that's a great team? No, and it's certainly not an elite team, which is at the top. They're just like they're a good team. The Mavericks are the team where I, you know the Suns. The way you are with the Suns, I'm that way with the Mavericks because I'm just like this makes no sense that they are in any capacity not one of the worst defensive teams. Like Dwight Powell has been way better defensively than I thought he would be. A lot of their weaknesses are like, and like a lot of, honestly, I looked at this the other day, they have all of their guys are worse on court with Porzingis. That's a worrying sign. Like that's a genuine like red flag. Cause as the season goes on, that can get to be a, a big, big issue. But Luke is so good. He kind of carries them. The wolves may be a team that I'm putting here now. And may, may they may be in the, not only the, the tier below, but like the in the drags within a month because the Wolves, I think it might be the mirror team. And honestly, a lot of it was um, Towns' suspension. Like they were rolling and they were good and he was carrying them. And it was like, man, Towns is on another level, but they were also defending at a high level. And he went out and all their defensive principles just fell apart and he came back and they're still bad. Now, I'm this is a weird thing. Uh, their numbers with Teague were very promising and he's been out. So I'm kind of wondering, he gets back tonight. If they get a win tonight, I'm testing that theory tonight. If they get a win tonight and they play better with uh, with Teague versus a Pistons team that's got nothing in the way of guards, that could really, I, I might calm my concern level with them. A lot of these teams, you know, Mavericks, Heat, Suns, Wolves, Spurs, are teams that I'm like, you're okay right now, but if things start to tip, your gravity is going to carry you right over the edge of that waterfall. Right, especially because there are a lot of other capable teams in the conference. So right. there aren't as many just easy wins or ways to get right. The game that I'm going to be watching for Minnesota is actually two days later when they play San Antonio. Because Ooh. what 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 is the, what's the shot profile look like? How does the defense look? And San Antonio, sometimes, sometimes I don't like using unusual teams to evaluate. But in Minnesota's case, I think that might be good of how well do they keep to their principles? How, what, what kind of what do they give up? Do they, how does the second unit play? A lot of those type of things could be really useful. So I'm interested in that one. That loss to Memphis, I watched about a third or half of that game, was just just so frustrating. And, I mean, Memphis, you know, not terrible. I think they're a better bad team than a lot that we've had in recent years, but they're just not all the way there yet. No shame in that. Memphis is, Memphis is handling this the way that the Knicks should have. But I want to make a brief point on Devin Booker. And okay. I'm sure, given... My own, my, my own stance on a lot of these things that some people will be frustrated by that, and I don't care. I've been very critical of Devin Booker in the past. It may happen again in the future. Me saying that he was, let's use the term overrated, or just not as good as people thought last year, was not a prediction that he would be bad moving forward. It was a statement of where things were at the time. Yeah. Devin Booker, so far this year, has been significantly better than Devin Booker had been in previous years. He deserves a ton of credit for that, and it is a separate thing from him not being as good last year. You know, something really small in that regard. So I went back and I watched all of his assists this summer because I wanted to get an idea of what kind of a passer he is. And he was always a really willing passer, but his placement wasn't great. He wasn't able to actually locate guys in their shooting pocket. Like, he was willing to make the pass, but the actual physical fundamentals of like how he was passing and like I'm not an expert on these things but I was just watching where the ball would land and the like the kind of shots that he would create were not great like he would get the ball there but it was like a second off like it was just like a, just a little bit not as good his placement is so much better this season and part of me genuinely wonders if a lot of that is just he has guys around him that know where to be like he they're not caught off guard by oh I need to move like he because of how deep he is under the rim 
I need to move a step to the right, or I know he's going to pass this high. I need to move about a, you know two steps left higher up the arc because his placement has just been a lot better. And that combined with, I will say this for a guy that I was, I've been like you, I've been low on Booker. And a lot of it has to do with stuff like the 70 point game where I'm like, you don't do this if you're actually serious about competing. Like you're not chasing this and having your team foul to get you more points. If you're actually like, no, like I want to win games. I'm serious about my career. I like a lot of criticism and he would show up and have these huge games after the season was completely over. And I'm always like, where were you in December when they needed you? Um, but I, I will say this. He has shown the la- last year and this year a real dedication to willingness to pass. And that matters a lot for a guy with his scoring chops because it's super easy to be like, I got paid and my next contract is going to be based off my scoring and I'm just going to score and that's what I'm going to do. And he has a real willingness to pass and defend this year and the accountability of having guys around him that are like, no, 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 we're going to do our jobs. If you don't do yours, it's going to show up on tape. I think has really worked with him. So like maturity wise, development wise, skill wise, nothing but passing grades for me for Devin Booker. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, yeah. And I also think I was skeptical that Rubio, especially because of his limitation shooting, I thought that might stunt Booker's growth. I think it has actually helped because it has put him in better places to succeed. Also just having superior talent around him. I'm very interested in whenever the Baines Aiton transition happens back. How that, how that affects things with where they like to space on the floor. Also, just Baines being as ridiculous as he's been so far. But, I mean, you look at what what Phoenix has done so far and just go, I mean, you have to give respect to it. I mean, they beat, granted, they beat Philly without Joel Embiid. But that win over the Clippers is still impressive to me. They took the they took the Nuggets to overtime in Brooklyn in Denver. Sorry, they beat the crap out of the Nets in the game that I'm still kind of trying to process. And <laughs> you know, they, like they've done really well. And it is there is a certain point that happens. You brought this up with Sarver. You could the goats in the office. There are all sorts of things that you do kind of want to separate that. Then there are other times where you where you don't necessarily want to separate it. But why I think you kind of do with Phoenix is that so many things are different. You know, as you talked about the personnel, but also new head coach. And the Suns are just playing. I, I For years, I, well, I criticism when I saw them at Oracle, and now I have, I'll see them at Chase at some point soon, is just that they didn't seem prepared. Like that they just, they yeah. were, they were and, and they look more prepared this year. Like they, they're playing harder, they're playing smarter. And those can just be young guys improving, can also be not going as young as they have before. But some of that is also coaching. I, I just think, I'll go a step beyond you because I think prepared is like, how many of your guys, at least on the defensive end, because most of the offensive dudes don't, but like how many of your defensive specialists have read the scouting report? Um, how many of your guys know like the intensity level that you've got to bring because this team and how hard they play, et cetera? Like there's effort management. A lot of it was the Suns. Like I would watch their their I I made a point in in July, August, September to catch up on all these teams that I kind of like put away at the end of the year. Cause I'm like, I don't have time for you because your season is lost um, to c- catch up on those and see what I miss. And the Suns for three years running, I would watch them and just be like, what are you doing on offense? Like you would watch them and just like, no one knows what they were doing. There was no purpose. There was no plan. There was no direction. And now like they know what they're doing. They just know, like again, competency. They're a competent team that knows what they want to do on both ends and they're not always going to succeed. But yeah, the win profile is good. Um, I want them to succeed. It'd be a really great story if this held up, but I think it's right for me to put them in the third tier um, until they prove that they kind of have. What's your fourth tier? So by fourth tier, I made, I made this one big instead of the dregs. It's teams that are under 500, but I don't see them as the absolute bottom. And really for me, it was more, I, you could use like 30 wins as a proxy or something like that. And inevitably some teams will get pulled down and pulled up. And also, I was thinking about this as a full season thing. So, for example, I don't have the Warriors in Tier 5, even though they're kind of Tier 5-y right now, because presumably they're getting Steph Curry back at some point. They're probably getting Klay Thompson back at some point, even if it's reduced because of where they are. I didn't quite put them there, though I understand why others do. But So here's my massive Tier 4. First couple are the Tier 3, Tier 4 buffer, you know, where they could easily be there, and that's the Wolves, the Magic, the Nets, the Pistons, the Spurs, and the Suns, and then that's right around the dividing line for the Pels, the Kings, the Thunder, the Hawks, the Warriors, the Bulls. And that's a huge tier. A lot of teams that I didn't really know what to do with and in some ways was thankful that we were only doing five tiers because I would have probably separated out. And what I realized was, like, for example, like the Pelicans and Kings 
I like both of those teams a lot still. Like, there's still a lot of positives. But at a certain point, and that point is probably right now, the losses that you've logged do matter. And so even if the Pelicans are a above 500 team the rest of the way, which I think is possible, but maybe not likely, they still have all these losses. And Sacramento's moving their way out, out of that group but they still have some bad stuff in their resume. They still have some things that concern me. So it was, for me, it was just, to me, all those teams, it's just more likely that they finish under, but I still think of them as better than 30-win teams, so I put them there. How about you? So my fourth tier is much smaller. Uh, by the way, I, I want to make one addendum, uh, addendum or a change sure. mid-cast. Uh, I'm moving the Pacers into the, the slot above. Okay, because, that's where I had them. Because one, um, they're scared, like, the Pacers have racked wins that they're going to need to be in the spot that they want to get to. If we're talking about overall quality, maybe not. But I also believe that, like, it's okay if you're not as good as the teams around you if you have a better resume. Because it just means that, like, you have better focus and you won the games that you should have rather than screwing around. And both those things, like, screwing around can hurt you. Um and the Pacers like are logging division wins and home wins, and those things are very important for building uh, a playoff team's win a win profile. In my experience, um, there's just like to me, there's like a, a a real kind of capacity for what that brings to the table. Um, so I will go ahead and and put those. Uh, the Pacers in that tier above. Uh, I've got the Pistons, the Cavs, the Thunder, the Blazers, the Magic, and the Nets. All of those teams are teams that I look at and go, I. it is possible for you to go on a run to get yourselves into a position for a playoff spot. Um, the Blazers are in more trouble, I think, than people realize. I just, I really don't think that people uh, have factored in the kind of what their season is actually starting to look like. And there's some unless they make a trade, there's a chance that this thing just slides a lot. Uh, like they got what their local people were saying was like a season saving win versus the Hawks without John Collins at home at home in overtime. Like that's a concern. I have concerns with that. Well, and, and, and you want to go on top of that? The Suns only have one more home game, I think, until Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> oh, sorry, the Blazers. That's who I meant. Yeah, Blazers. Uh, yeah, and so they go at Sacramento, then a back-to-back. Their only other home game is at the tail end of a back-to-back against the Raptors. That could be an interesting one. Then Spurs, Rockets, Pelicans, Bucks, Cavs, Bulls, all on the road. Yep. That's that's brutal. And for the, the part that I think is, is you're, you might be onto with the Blazers is kind of – I've used the term disaster potential before. And – Part of why that could be possible with the Blazers, you talked about the guys that don't play hard every night. There's also the the potential for eventual reinforcements, but it is exceedingly hard to make a reinforcements trade early in the season. First of all, before December 15th, when a bunch of other, and then uh, January 15th, when a bunch of guys are available to trade, remember half the league plus were free agents this year. So none of those guys are eligible to trade right now. And also because while the, what the Blazers need are more like depth support pieces, they're still hard to find. You know, it's not easy to get a 20-minute-a-game forward. You know, those players are really expensive. We saw a lot of those guys get either overpaid or whatever this summer, and there aren't any on, the, on like the free agent market. It's not like there are players sitting at home who could be a 20-minute-a-game forward for anybody, much less a team that wants to be in the playoffs. So not only are the Blazers shallow right now, as is always the case when a player has a long-term injury, remember that any subsequent injuries make them so much worse. And the Blazers have been remarkably healthy with their top guys, meaning Damon CJ. But this year, and some of this is because Neil O'Shea doesn't do, doesn't really build out teams in this way, they just they don't have options. And that is kind of shocking for a team that is paying the luxury tax. Remember that. Like, there aren't many teams paying the tax this year. The Blazers are one of them, and they're this shallow. Yeah. It's a pro- it's a problem. So, a lot of concerns there. Um, you know, we talked about about when like resumes and, and win profiles and stuff like that. Those are very big for me as I track because I've noticed it. I started to develop theories about the stuff from track and playoff picture for so long uh, at CBS, and I continue to do that. Um, I've, I'm testing out this new theory and this new system, and I'm I'm putting it on Twitter every week where it's kind of the inverse of the Doug Moe system. So Doug Moe used to say you get one point for uh, road wins. And you get like a minus one for home losses and kind of did it that way. And what I've done is instead you get one point for home wins. You get one point for division wins. And starting on on January 1st, I'm going to start logging uh, wins versus teams under 500. 
And if you, I'm, my theory is that the teams with the highest point totals are going to one have the best regular season, which makes sense because they'll have more wins. But two, they'll be closer in terms of the playoff race versus teams that maybe have equal records but worse in this system. I think we'll have more trouble with the playoff race because so much of these things go into tiebreaker, and the home wins are big just for like those ones you got. You can't lose those. You cannot lose those home games. That really hurts you. It's very difficult to make the playoffs with a sub five hundred home record. Um, and but that ties into this conversation because, like, look, the Pistons have had catastrophic injury with Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson out. All of these things going badly. They have a plus one right now. Uh, the highest in the league is uh, the Jazz with a plus six. The lowest in the league is the Warriors with a minus five. The Pistons are a plus one because they're logging they're logging division wins and home wins. And so if it gets to the end of the season and the Cavaliers, which are looking a little frisky with their starting unit. Um, or the Bulls, who are underperforming if they surge. If one of those teams gets into it and they're battling for playoff positioning, the Pistons have a good chance if they keep up this win profile of getting the edge because of their division tiebreaker. Um, and now this is like narrow stuff, but this is like I needed a way. I wanted a better way to separate out the bottom tiers because it's like, well, does it really matter? Like, does it really matter if you're the Pistons or the Cavs, or the Bulls, or the Wizards. Like, does and does that stuff really matter? Um, and this is kind of how I found the way to do it. Like, the Thunder are frisky in in large part because of like how they're a minus one in that system. Um, but they've got a really tough schedule. But they're like they're a tough team, and so they they go into this. A lot of this are like these are tough teams. The Magic are a tough team, and they can't underperform offensively the whole season. I will make this thing. They may be the worst offensive team in the league. But they're not going to be as bad as they've been uh, for the entire season. I've been betting on them consistently just because I'm like, they have to start hitting shots eventually. I finally took their under and got burned by it because they made shots versus the Grizzlies. But, like, that's where they are. Um, the Nets, however, are a team that I'm pretty much just putting here based off of, like, reputation. The Nets, I think, are actually worse than maybe I'm giving them credit for. Uh, defensively, they're just such a mess. Like oh yeah, they're, they're, and what's crazy is they're, they're generally their opponent's shot profile, as it's been the case with Kenny Atkinson, hasn't been bad. But they're not just really stopping anybody anyway. Well, you know, yeah. it, it's like it's like if if you give a guy's a bunch of bad shots, well, if you give them lots of them and you give them completely open, open ones, shots, your rate's going to eventually. Well, and talk. if you don't force any turnovers, which is a huge problem with the Nets, like if, if if a team gets a shot on every possession, and you know, offensive rebounding, they've been pretty good on the glass so far, but. That they're not forcing any. They're twelve point four percent, which is exceedingly low. Like that's basically like accidental type of stuff. And uh, I want to go back a little bit, not not too long, but I had a couple of notes when I was putting this together that I forgot to mention, and they're related to win quality, so it kind of ties in with what we've been talking about. So one of the reasons that I'm a little bit queasy about Dallas right now, even though I've generally been a Mavs optimist, I picked them to make the playoffs before the start of the season, is. To me, they don't have a convincing win over a good team yet. They did beat Denver. They did beat Orlando, but both those games were really close, and they lost to the Knicks at home, which is bad. There were some anomalous things in that game. And then kind of along those lines, to me, the Sixers' best win was opening night when they beat the Celtics. You know, nothing, of course, wrong with that. But other than that, their only win over a definitely good team, and we could argue whether they're even a definitely good team, was that Portland game when Maz hit the basically a buzzer beater after Simons hit that other shot. And... That's a little bit troubling, too. I mean, they've lost a couple games, and there's a lot of context stuff and beat suspension and various other things. But it's you, you can, when, when you're 10 games in, and it's just kind of weird, as good as they've been at moments, to be like, yeah, you don't have a signature win yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think a lot of it comes down to, um, with the Sixers, is, again, the suspensions and the injuries, right? Like, their profile probably looks better in those situations. They lost close to the Jazz, 106-104. That one, I think, qualifies as a good loss, right? Like, on the road. And then they lost... Think of this. They lost to Utah and Denver combined by five points. And really, it was just the Jokic's game-winner with 1.2. Because there was the turnover, and then Barton hit free throws with no time remaining. Yeah, and if you want to combine with that, that they lost at Phoenix by five in a game Embiid did not play in. Right. And and that's, that's again, not a bad loss. And those are the three losses for the year. So kind of going back to an NCAA tournament profile, they don't really have many good wins other than the Celtics one, but they also don't have any bad losses. To me, a lot of it is um, the Boston win was really good. And then, honestly, I think that the... I mean, this is a lot of it, right? It's like the Wolves are a team that kind of hinges on this. And this honestly goes for a lot of teams. Like this goes for a lot of teams in terms of we've seen the Wolves play like a good smattering of East and West teams. 
where if depending on how the wolves actually are a month from now, those wins and losses look a lot differently. Cause I'm that's very a great. High. That's a great point. Cause I, I mean, cause they beat, they beat the stuffing out of Minnesota. Yeah. Once, well, once them being in town, like once towns went out, that was it. But they were already beating them at that yeah, point. They were in control. Right. And so that one looks like a lot better. And then like Denver gets a real scrap overtime win, which they blew a huge lead late, but they, they won a division game on the road uh, on Sunday. And that's like, that's a good win. Like that's a really good win, except for if a month from now, the Wolves have fallen off and are that, that mirror team. Well, now all of a sudden it adds to a, a series of Denver wins where you're like, you beat the Sixers barely without Ben Simmons. You beat the Wolves really close. Like, so these are the type of things that we just we got to wait another month before we're going to know a little bit more. Um, I just got to re- just say for the record, like, God, the season's fascinating. Oh, yeah. So interesting top to bottom. Okay. I mean, I we're, we're a month in and I'm still figuring out so much. Yeah. I got to hear this from you. So I, you have the Warriors in the fourth tier, yes? Yes. Okay. Give me the case because I feel like we're doing a whole lot of – revisionist like well well Steph and Draymond and and D'Angelo got hurt and I'm like they were getting clocked before Steph went down like they were getting worked and they have the Portland win and that's really all we got and that Portland win was fluky I was there like that was well and we're learning like oh maybe that win wasn't as good right so so a couple of different pieces of the argument one top heavy teams when they're not all the way healthy generally aren't that good you know like so and the Warriors when they had D'Lo, Steph, and Draymond, they still were top-heavy, and they were exceedingly shallow. They didn't really—I don't think they played a single game where they had Looney available, where they had Looney, Cauley-Stein, and those other guys. And so I think that because of how bad the rest of their players are, those sorts of things do matter. It's also worth saying we don't know if and when that combination is ever going to happen. Like, it might just not happen at all this year. And it's also, I, I think that the Warriors could play much better than they did in those games. I mean, they got they got absolutely run like that Suns game before Curry got hurt. They were getting crushed. I mean, it was a 40-4 to run, I think, in that game. And right. they're, you know, they were worse than I expected when they were, when they were healthy-ish. But I don't think they were as bad as they looked. You know, like that, that's sort of an idea, you know, like that's the, the worst you can be. So even if it's a dead cat bounce, there's still some bounce there. That's kind of part of the idea. And also, even if Clay is 75, 70% of, of, you know, this season, you know, the idea that, and I mean, remember, he tore his ACL in June. It wasn't like he tore his ACL in April. So if he even comes back, it's going to be a much more limited. That's still a ton better than everybody he's replacing in the rotation. So let's say Clay comes back May, or sorry, not May. They're not going to be playing in May. Uh, March 1st or March 15th. Well, they get a month of play with somebody who's significantly better than other guys in their rotation. Maybe the veterans get energized by that possibility. But yeah, I mean, the other kind of factor in this, and I haven't written about this yet, but I will in the near near future, is remember the passage of time with the Warriors. And this is the best argument to put them in the dregs, that bringing Curry back in February means something very different now than it would mean in February if they're like, 25 games under 500 because at that point like what are you really benefiting especially if he's you know forcing it a little bit or anything else yeah and i, I wrote a whole thing that was like basically saying that i'm not sold on the they're gonna get it back together and get a draft pick and make another run at it because one of the big things is i'm like um he's gonna be 32 you know everybody's like well Steph's only 31 it's like he's gonna be 32 and the the slide gets considerably worse from there if you if you plan long term around a run um are there any teams that I'm? You think I'm being unfair towards by putting them in the bottom tier because your fourth what, is? Heavy. Do, you want, do you want to lay out your bottom tier then? I'm uh, assuming it has all five of my dregs too. Yeah, so it's everybody. So Warriors, Pelicans, Kings, Hawks, Knicks, Bulls, uh, Grizzlies, Wizards, uh, Hornets. Even though I I kind of like the way that I not kind of I love the way the Hornets are playing. I accept that they're a bad team. I just love watching them play. Oh yeah, they're they've been so much fun. Yeah, they're just a really fun team. So that's kind of that's the the grouping um, of those teams. I don't think I'm I'm leaving anybody out. The, the the two candidates maybe to move up are the Bulls, who if we if we talk about the Suns and the impact coaching has had in raising their floor and ceiling, I think the Bulls are are suffering from the opposite. I think Boy I, I think Boylan is legitimately lowering their floor and their ceiling. Um, I think this team is should be better, and the fact that it's not. I think you have to put that at the feet of the coach, and I don't think that's going to change. You can make the argument for the Hawks. I get it. I just 
a lot of it was their defense was overperforming early, and we've seen like in that Blazers overtime and other games. Like, this is a bad defensive team. We knew it was going to be a bad defensive team. And versus the Mavericks, we're managing to, like, just stay above water defensively. The Hawks are starting to slide back to the bottom where they should. And no matter how good Trey Young is, especially without Collins, they're just not going to be able to produce enough offense to overcome how bad their defense is. So, like, everybody else, I feel, is is pretty obvious. Like, the Grizzlies are fun, but they are insanely young, play super fast, and can't stop anybody. Like they and the Pelicans are very similar. They just like they're defensive sieves that are fun to watch. I think for me, I have the Pels in four rather than five, partially because they're not even close to full strength, and partially because when they've been closer, you know, when they've been a bit a little bit healthier, I think they've been more frisky. Still, maybe not necessarily translating into winning games, but I, I just think they have more. They have more potential. Their offense has actually been surprisingly good so far. Some of that might be some unsustainable shooting, but I've liked that. The, I, the Hawks, I, some of it is, is respect to, to Trey Young and everything else. To me, if a team has a, a good offense or at least a pretty good offense and a terrible defense, generally they're not among the worst in the league. They're just kind of in that next tier. But if we're going to draw out of like, they're, to me, they're not a playoff squad. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not that big. You know, we're kind of splitting hairs a little bit. We should bring up briefly the stat. Zach Lowe had this today, uh, and you, you alluded to it before, that the Cavs starting five has has a plus 16 net rating, which yep. is shocking. And some of that, I think, also is a little bit context-dependent. They've they've had some moments in their schedule that are a little bit, I would call it fortuitous, would be would be a fair way a fair way of talking about it, you know, when they've when they played a couple of teams. And I think they also, I, but they still deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. And I'm, I'm interested in where they go. I still have them in the dregs for now, but there's a distinct chance that they end up above that kind of like depressing group which is interesting when you consider the possibility, like let's say they end up with the sixth worst record, then things start to get a little more compelling for a pick that has top 10 protection, even with lottery reform. Uh, so in my little system I've developed, they're a plus one because mm-hmm. they got they got a plus two versus Indiana at home and a plus two versus Chicago at home. They're winning. They went, they're already got two division wins. Now they lost to Indiana um, in one of those games, so that takes off one, and they've lost some other home games since then. But like, look at the losses that they've logged at home, and it's they lost to Indiana, who that's a coin flip game. Um, honestly, it's it's acceptable to lose that game. Indiana should be better than them, and they lost to Dallas and Boston, two teams that they should lose to. Yeah. So like this week, they've got um, they've got other games. I think that they can. They can this week is brutal because they have Sixers Heat Sixers. Right. So, right. yeah, though, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and so some of these teams, I mean, we run into this every year of just like, we just need a larger sample. Yeah. And it might be that the Cavs are just a little bit better than I thought they were. And also remember that in the East, being better than just the awful teams, which it's entirely possible that the Cavs are, that's enough to get you, you know, a few a, a few wins because the bottom of the East is so bad. It's a, it, The whole conversation about like how early it is, it, it's always bothered me for multiple reasons. One because like doing playoff picture at the end of the season, I'm always able to go back and be like, look, they're going to lose the sixth seed. To, they're going to slip to seventh and have to face a much tougher team. And the reason is like you, I can go back and yes, you could say any of those losses, but I can specifically say because they're losing a tiebreaker, if they won that game versus the Pistons at home back in November, a winnable division game, they're in. Like they, they get the six seed or whatever. Like these are the things that I'm like, these games do matter. They do count towards the standings. And the other thing is, as much as you say, like, well, they look good now, but they could be terrible in a month. It's like, yeah, but the opposite is true too, in that they could look awesome in a month where they look awesome now. Like the starts for all, the Nuggets are a great example of this. They got off to a raucous start last year, and that helped boost them and carry them with confidence all the way to the two seed. You know, and, and these starts do matter because it sets a tone for your season. It's exhausting trying to dig out of a hole. Ask Houston. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's really it's really true. Well, and also sometimes it, it's just that's just more indicative. You know, if a team is fundamentally different, maybe they change their coach or they change their personnel. Like this is a great example of the Suns. Like they're a test of another one of my theories, which is the destructive effects of having non-NBA players in your rotation. And the Suns were able to put NBA players heavily in their rotation, and that made them a lot better. You know, raised their floor. That was a part of what helped their RPM projections and all these other things. And you get into some of those circumstances, and maybe it's age-related improvements or just adding a few different pieces, like Tristan Thompson has looked better to me. They actually have Kevin Love this year. And and so maybe the Cavs just are in a kind of a different strata. And 
I, I think it is you're, you're first of all you're right that all these games do count but I'm thinking of it more in the abstract of just how good is this team rather than their likelihood of making the playoffs or something like that but it, you're right it, it does all count and that's one of the things though is is there are teams that will have better seasons than the team they actually are oh absolutely like yeah, and that happens all the time but also I think it matters just like those a lot of these these teams like their fans like they just want the experience like I think the Suns are a great example of this like the, the Suns fans at this point are not like oh this isn't sustainable and this is bad and, and all this stuff because they're like, well, we have Booker and we have Aiden. Like, we have we have young talent we can continue to build around. I just don't want to be the laughing stock of the league anymore. And, like, that's why I think this run is really good for them and, and sustainable. And it's one of the reasons I, I back the moves. Like, we talked about, like, the whole stuff with Sarver and everything else. Like, when Suns fans have been like, and it's been rare, most of the smart Suns fans are, are have a pretty good head for, like, no, the organization's a joke. But there's been, like, a little bit of, like, maybe the offseason wasn't so bad. And I'm like, no. That Memphis trade was terrible. Even, like, it doesn't matter. Josh Jackson, you could take out of it. And I like Javon Carter. He's played well for them. But, like, no, that was a bad trade. Um, Their moves overall were poor. If you want to say, like, the coaching move, then, yeah, I can give you credit for it. Like, maybe the best thing that James Jones did this summer was hiring Monty Williams because that does seem to be the most impactful thing that he's done outside of, of trading. Now, trading for Baines was a really good one, you know, but Baines has been a guy that's been underappreciated. He was underappreciated in Detroit. Uh, the, the If you had been around the Spurs at all, you would have seen really good things up close from him. Like, there's nothing surprising about the Baines thing. We all continue to be like, oh, this is insane. Can you believe it? Aaron Baines. And I'm like, Baines is a huge big man with touch and skill who sets devastating screens and takes his job seriously. Just that last part matters a lot when you're a big man in the NBA. So I'm not surprised at all with with that. Um, I do hope that they're, they're able to keep it up. Um, yeah, fascinating season. I like the structure of us doing five. Um, I don't think like we need a whole big breakdown on the Dicks or any of those teams. But um, I, I think it's, it is fascinating to me, though. We put all these teams. I put all these teams in the dregs. And yet there's not a bunch of teams that I'm just like that. They are horrible. Like they are just dreadful there are very few of those like the bulls are frustrating more than anything else they're not even that bad they're just frustrating yeah i mean the thing that i would want to talk about the next but i'll save it for a different space at a different time is just how it appears that their front office is trying to spin what is happening but yeah i mean they are they are pretty much who we thought they would be and it's yeah i mean so i'm really interested you know we don't we haven't figured out timing or whatever we're going to do this rest of the year but how how I feel a month from now or whatever, six weeks or whatever it's going to end up being is going to, is going to be interesting because for some of them, it might just be a large enough sample to believe, you know, that might be where things are exactly like with Phoenix. But I, I, I would say to people like, enjoy the run. I, I, I think I, my instinct is that the next month is going to be more clarifying for the bottom couple tiers than the top couple tiers, just because, but except for maybe the Paul George return, maybe that helps clarify some stuff for the Clippers. But it's going to be fun. Like there's still so much to learn with these teams. Yeah. I mean, there's just... They, there's a level of evenly matched. We don't have the specter of like, well, yeah, they're good, but I mean, not being the warrior, like not having that is just a big relief. It's just a big relief having not having a specter, and it doesn't even matter that it's them. Because you know, after the first week, it was funny. Um, both a lot of my colleagues at Action, and then folks I was talking to when I went to, to Nuggets games, everybody was like, "Man, the Clippers just might be better than everybody else. Like maybe, maybe the Clippers are just too like. How are you going to beat them?" And then they lost to the Suns. And, like, you know, their win profile is good, but it's not impeccable. And, like, they're beatable. And that's that's the best situation. You have good teams that are beatable. And that's, like, an ideal, in my opinion, at least for what I want, that's an ideal position for the league. Yeah, absolutely. But unless there's anything you definitely want to talk about, I will thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read him at the Action Network, and you can listen to him regularly on Locked on Nuggets, which is awesome. And you can follow him, if you don't somehow already, on Twitter at HPBasketball, H-P-B-A-S-K-E-T-B-A-L-L. Love having Matt on. The plan is to have it as a regular feature this year. We don't know the frequency yet. It's going to depend on availability when we have clarity of our of our thoughts as well. But I want to do it a lot. It is something I genuinely enjoy and a great way to think about the league and conferences depending on how we split at that time. There are a lot of different ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe and download every episode. That is extremely important for a show like this that does not come out on a specific day of the week. So if you subscribe, it'll just pop in whenever you're ready. Really do appreciate that. Also spreading the word however you see fit. Word of mouth, social media, whatever makes you happy. And also leaving a rating, leaving a review on the podcast player of your choosing. 
It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. I understand if it's not. And if you want to be super awesome, you can actually review, leave review multiple places. And really what all that's about is about having people find the show. Because while Real Jam Radio has been around a long time, there are still people who don't know about it. So really do appreciate that. And then the single most important thing you can do for this show or any other that has them is check out our sponsors for this episode. That is betonline.ag. Use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. Real GM Radio will be back next week. I don't know exactly what it will entail. Probably be more mid to late week, depending on how all these things turn out. So there'll be a little bit more of the passage of time. You can also listen to me on Dunked On. This week is a little different because Nate is abroad. So we have two pre-recorded episodes on topics we've been asked to do for a long time. But then also I'm doing news segments on top of that to keep things current. Those should come out on Monday night and Wednesday night if all things hold. And then my written work at The Athletic, my massive 30-piece series is going to start this week with the Pacific Division and probably a lot more this week depending on how the editorial schedule breaks out. also wrote a new piece on the Warriors, kind of a fast-forward type thing that is coming out soon as well. Actually, that's already out. I really enjoyed doing that and getting back into, you know, doing written work. I, I genuinely love it, and I've been working on this for such a long time and editing and proofreading and all that. So get ready for the rollout and then a lot more to come. Really exciting time in basketball. Matt and I got, got into that. So much to learn, so much to see. And if you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to reach out to me. If you take the time to write, I will take the time to read it. That is very important to me. I don't always respond, but I do my best to and really do enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.